Hello, and welcome to the Emoto Fixels podcast. This is our episode on Psychonauts 2. I am Nate, and with me today is my friend Craig. Craig, say hello. Hey! And Will. That's me, Will Atkinson. Excellent. So, we're here to talk about Psychonauts 2, which is a game. And I thought that we would begin today with a question. What is your favorite music video? I saw Will wiggling in his seat. What is his? I have a question for your question. How many honorable mentions can I mention? Oh, that's very good. Two. Two? Okay. And the, the note there is you're not allowed to shame the other members if they don't have any notable mentions. Uh, my honorable mentions would probably be um, Smack My Bitch Up. Great video. Getting an explicit video. tag in the first 30 seconds. All <laughs> right. Weapon of Choice. Another great video with the, the dancing. Christopher yep. Walken. But the best music video is Star Guitar. What? Star Guitar? Absolutely. You stole hands mine. down the best music video ever. You I don't were... think I've ever seen the music video for Star Guitar. I'm not the only stoner out there, apparently. I only know Star Guitar from Luminace. It's a train going by synchronized to the beat. Oh, that's very good. And okay. That was my actual answer. And I didn't have any follow up. So, you Will, have... you have failed the objective of not shaming the other participants. <laughs> you didn't have a single honorable mention? I don't watch a lot of music videos. Yeah, that is humanized true. music. I mean, it's a, yeah, that's a challenging one to go with. I was thinking there's like a couple music videos that come to mind. I don't know if they're my favorite, but um, Thriller by Michael Jackson. Like is definitely a music oh, video. Anything by Michael Jackson. Yeah. He's got some great music videos. Yeah, so those ones, and I think that's, I guess, where my mind goes, is like the music videos that tell a story. Also, Stan by Eminem. Uh, very, you know, pretty good. I feel like a, a good I, one for you, Nate, would have been the Thong song. Oh, Cisco. What? Thong, th- yep. Um, Craig could sing it, apparently. Definitely. Thong, 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 thong. Um, I... I thought also This Is America by Childish Gambino recently. That's a good one. Incredibly topical like, and very good. I like him generally. I, his videos, no, not for me. I think the thing in there is like it also took over like pop culture in some ways. Um, last honorable mention was Here It Goes Again by OK Go. Like I remember that song. Oh, all of theirs are good, right? Yeah. All of OK Goes. Yeah. yeah they're very good at all of yeah. OK Goes. Is that the one on the That's the, the treadmill one. Yeah. Oh, but they have one that's like in um in zero gravity that they shot in a in the the vomit comet. Oh, like, that's right. Oh man, they did the one. The whole entire video was shot in like fifteen seconds or something like that. Um, I feel like man. we're just gonna end this podcast and everyone's gonna go down a deep rabbit hole of okay, go or yeah, they um they shot the... it at like a super super high frame rate and the entire video. You, you watch it in real time, and it's like, what? And then they replay it, I think, backward in slow-mo, and it's just freaking amazing. All right, I've got one that's also Will's that. YouTube. I, I, I filled out my two nominations. One's not even really a music video, but the Tetris Effect launch trailer is a great... Oh, oh my God. Like, yeah. That was a music video, absolutely. That's yeah, I don't know good. if it counts, but... And, blocks. Yeah. They all saw blocks Man. falling through space. And Winter Gatan's Marble Machine, which I feel like is really deep down Will's YouTube rabbit hole. I like that guy. I don't know if I'd call it a music video, but all right. It makes music. 
and it's on YouTube, so I guess it that's is technically the video. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll allow it. <clears throat> okay, that brings us into a beautiful flaw the segue to Psychonauts 2, a game by Double Fine, published by Microsoft in 2019? 21? Really? Yeah, try last year, bud. Time means nothing, yeah. my friends in the yeah. podcast world. This game came out less than one year ago from when we're recording this. That makes it weirdly topical. Yeah. For us. Okay. This is a PS4 game? Question mark? It's a PS4 and Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Microsoft Windows, and Mac, and Linux. You know, I, I really got to call you out. Thank you for reminding us who makes Windows. It gets hard to remember. Yeah, you're welcome. Sometimes but, I call it Redmond Windows. Redmond Sometimes Windows. I'm like, is it Macintosh Windows? Oh, that doesn't sound right. But to your point, well, this is definitely a previous generation game. This is not like a, it's not launches a next gen game, or I guess our current gen. Before we dive into uh getting the privilege of hearing will describe the plot of this game i thought i would ask what have we all played of prior psychonauts i can go first and say that i played psychonauts one at its release back on the xbox and loved it and sort of did you pay falls... for it no <laughs> wow <laughs> i just lost hosting credentials <laughs> just throwing that out there since um this sequel almost didn't get made multiple times because of how poorly the first game sold. But anyways, well, continue on. Let me tell on. you who has it on Steam also through unclear means. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever paid for this game despite owning it in multiple... Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, it falls into that era of my life where I remember really liking it, but I do not remember a lot about its plot. So the opening cinematic kind of reminding us of the plot of the original was very helpful for me. Will, have you played Psychonauts 1? I bought Psychonauts 1 at the same time as I bought Psychonauts 2, and with the intention of rushing through both of these games in a weekend, uh, I have played through the first half of the first chapter of Psychonauts 1. Wow, when you were saying you'd played the first chapter of the first game, I did not realize that it was like within the week. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good, Great. Goodness gracious. Um, um, I do know, though, more importantly, that one of the first characters you're introduced to that first game appears to make a cameo in the second game and is just not mentioned after his cameo. Interesting. Who was that? There's a shadowy figure in black who talks about Maligula um, and has a super awesome voice. And I'm like, oh man, who's this guy going to be? And then gets completely dropped from the story. Huh. Okay. He... The the uh, silhouette looks a lot like the uh, one of the other campers from the first game, uh, with the really big head, or either big head or big hair. Yeah, it's a little like head or the big hair. A lot of characters have big heads. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, interesting. Uh, um, I did not play the original Psychonauts. I I recall some interaction with the game, and I can't remember where it was i think i may have either played a part of it at someone's house or had maybe it was just purely from media and games media at that time that i was kind of picking up a little bit of what was happening there but i always remember being interested in it and it sat 
in my backlog as far as like you know the pile of shame for a long time of i should definitely get back to that and then after so many years i was like i'm definitely never getting back to that and then when rhombus of ruin the playstation vr original launch on that came out and was kind of a connector between psychonauts and psychonauts 2 another game i didn't actually play either but it was something that i was like okay clearly you know psychonauts has been part of the gaming lexicon for over a decade now and is something i should still probably go back to even as we're 17 years later um but that didn't spark me to go back to it either so i did not play rhombus ruin although i did kind of pay attention to it when i was coming out uh didn't play psychonauts one but hopped into psychonauts two uh fresh and ready to go which reminds me will will you remind us the entire plot of psychonauts 2 all right so the key thing to remember in the writing of this game is isn't it funny when um tim schaefer's got like these completely common um scenarios that happen all the time like for example do you ever feel uh imposter syndrome well what if your imposter syndrome resulted in you getting immediately demoted all kinds of fun setups like that it's very situational comedy but as far as the plot goes i wish i uh, thought about that when i was playing this game Oh man! It's Ain't it so... funny when your family shows up to your job or school? Ha! Ain't it funny when all the other interns steal your clothes? Yeah. Ain't it funny when you get bullied in school? Ain't it funny when you go to summer camp? Damn it! Well, all right. Well, this changed my perception. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, continue on. Ain't it funny when your mentor's a freaking mindless minion? Um, <clears throat> so, the entire Psychonauts team that we thought was the entire Psychonauts team, uh, is on their way back from the Rhombus of Ruin because they just, uh, rescued the CEO, whose name is somebody. Zampano? God, Zanato? I can't stop thinking of House of Leaves. Truman Zanato. 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 Thank you. Zanato. Um, and apparently we kissed his daughter in the last game, uh, Rhombus. Sweet um, Lily? Yeah, Sweet Lily. Yep. We came back from the Rhombus of Ruin and immediately get demoted. Wait, we... hold on. Ain't it funny when you have a crush on a girl, but she refuses to call herself your girlfriend until in the middle of this game she does? It's like the end of this game. Okay, you're right. Ain't it funny, though? It's, it's pretty funny. funny. We immediately get uh, demoted, which is a nice uh, way to force you to re-level up all your stuff. Ain't it funny when you become an intern? Yeah. We kind of meet the interns, get hazed by the interns, and get assigned a mentor. Our mentor happens to be missing until we find him in a package. Unfortunately, brainless, which, you know, it's not that bad. You can survive that way, apparently. But luckily, in his pocket was a casino room key. So we go off to the casino to see what happens, and, and hijinks ensue. And depending on how deep you want to get into the hijinks, uh, we get into the head of the acting head of the Psychonauts and screw her up a little bit, and then we have to unscrew her up. And then, fortunately, it causes the entire intern crew to band together to solve the mission, which brings us back to the Psychonauts headquarters, where it turns out we need Ford Kroller, 
to fix Zampano, I think. That's why we needed him. So we go and we pull him out the back of our head by enticing him with bacon, uh, as you do. Yeah, as you do. That was a very exciting uh, moment. And then he accidentally, as we're pulling him out of our head, he splits into three. A little unclear of why that happened. Because um, his mind is shattered, bro. Yeah, wasn't he already... He, something had happened in our previous game that his mind was shattered, right? That was my understanding. I believe so. Yeah. Like, this is previous trauma being explored. Yes. Ain't it funny when your mind is shattered into three pieces? Breakups are rough. So we go on a epic quest to bring back uh, the pieces of Ford Crawler. Along the way, we end up actually bringing back the band together, <laughs> we which bring the is band back together. the six members of the original Psychonauts. And we find them in all kinds of various states and, and state, all kinds of states of disarray. We bring them back, and it turns out the original Psychonauts 6 were actually the original Psychonauts 7. There was a missing member who, uh, while they were being wild and free hippies out in the forest and being very mentally uh, open, minded unguarded, had to go back to her home country and was taken advantage of there by uh, Nick John Smith's father. Also, Nick John Smith. Who was the great generic name. of Grilovia? Yeah, who was also That's... the mailman. His son was the mailman. Son was the mailman. Yep. Yep. She was taken advantage of, possibly, probably killed a whole bunch of people, restored sanity by killing a bunch of people, and the original Psychic Six, Psychonaut Six, can we call him the Psychic Six? Does that work? Yep. Um... They went and stopped her, and the way that they stopped her was um what's a good way to put this? Locking her inside they, the mind of an innocent member of our family? Um I mean she always so she turns out That's she was really... a member of our family. But uh we convinced her she was somebody else. Locked her away. Just thought she didn't have powers. It's kind of jailed her in her own mind. So that's not cool. But coming to grips with the actions that the Psychic Six did in the past is a large part of the story. Kind of getting to the end of the story, there were a whole bunch of these uh, left turns, reveals. For example, Nona, our grandmother, who was introduced just a little bit earlier in the story, turns out to have been molecular the whole time. And... The mailman was the bad guy, and the brain was actually one of the psychic six, and, 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 um. <laughs> and there was a whole empire? That sort of gets dropped on you in the back, like, third? It's like, yeah. less than the back third. It's like, hey, guess what? There's a Grilovian empire entire subplot that's actually the main plot and the reason that there is a mailman without a brain and also Truman being the head of the Psychonauts that's actually under control of someone else and is actually the mole of the entire game. Yeah. So I, I like this for um, for two reasons. Uh, one in particular is that it really takes 
identity and thinks of it as like this fluid thing. It's a very like progressive idea almost that, you know, you are, you or your thoughts can take a lot of different forms. You can be, you know, <clears throat> who is acting from any one body is not necessarily the same person. Like you can replace the personality. Sometimes the personality is, you know, it, it, completely disjointed from all senses. Like there was a whole, the, the psyching was a whole example of, you know, completely taking away the body and the senses and, and what that might do to the mind and, you know, like seeing it come back. And then, you know, there were other cases like Nick John Smith hiding in other people's bodies to like manipulate and, and like use it for nefarious purposes. I just thought it was really interesting that that concept gets used throughout the game for a bunch of different ways. And it's not like, you know, stealing a mind is bad, although there are stealing a body is bad, although there are some implications for that. But there are also some positive implications for like this body was unused, so let, why don't I use it to, to benefit me as an individual? Like, uh, there's some interesting concepts about whether or not the, um, like, the sanctity of your identity. Do you guys think about any of that? I definitely did. I really liked how, like, I think when you're defeating Maligula and you, like, there's that moment where she's, like, grabbing onto the ledge and you're, you could theoretically save her. Um I forget who says it. Everybody's got someone like you. We just know how to keep it where it belongs. Is a really interesting idea that there isn't like evil people and good people. Like all people are struggling with their own demons and have their own like dysfunctions within them. It's really, it's interesting how this game is, uh, manages to have a rather coherent or cogent at least plot while still being so shades of gray about how, who people are. It's really kind of, I think a lot of plots lean on people being good or bad or there being parts of people that are good or bad in order to make plots more legible. And this game doesn't really do that, but still has a relatively clear plot, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think like one of the like one of the ones that makes me feel really bad is what Ford Kroller does to Maligula, which is like he quote unquote saves her life by taking her identity away from her. And it feels worse than killing her like he's like trapping or enslaving her confining the quote-unquote real her her real identity to to like be confined in this body um it, it just feels like uh a real abuse of um someone's person although wasn't his reasoning for that at least in my like understanding was that he was more so saying that Maligula was the deep dark like inner hate that some people or inner darkness that some people that all people harbor right that we all have in somewhere in us is kind of a darkness or something that can come up and he was actually trying to walk that piece away and in so like created something worse yeah, I think, you know, it's very similar to what Nate was just saying, right? He, his intent was, this is the bad part of your personality, let's lock it away. But the ramifications of, like, what he did is he broke her as a person, rather than, like, to come to grips with the various aspects of your personality. Yeah. Understand and know when or what to deal with them, or, you know, how to deal with them, live, in, with, that, live with those ideas, live with that 
uh, those tendencies in a constructive way. Um, we just completely shut it off. And then, I mean, you know. Which makes it worse, right? Well, that's a lesson Raz learns at the beginning of the game when he's messing with Hollis's mind, right? So he's... Yeah. The, the plot sets him up to be the one there who's younger than Ford by a long shot, but still knows, like, you can't just, like, mess around in people's minds that way. Yeah, you start trying to reassociate different ideas about who they are or how they construct their own reality and the unforeseen consequences can be quite dire or quite traumatic to those that are around them including themselves yeah i thought it was particularly powerful in this game how that happens very early on to raz and you get introduced to this mental connections like it's just going to be uh i mean it's literally one of the extra powers that that fits into your psychic toolkit mm -hmm. and it's presented like making these new connections is going to be a foundational aspect of how you play this game you know you're going to change people's minds and make them want to do things and then immediately after you do it you realize that's fucked up we just <laughs> we just hurt this person on a fundamental level and it doesn't yeah. show up anymore in the game that um for that me as a like traversal mechanic any yeah. further in the game for me, it becomes, or it's like, they they gave up this obvious mechanic of the game for the point of telling a good story, like having repercussions to your actions, which I thought was, you know, from that game design, the way I was thinking about it, seemed like really something powerful to throw away. Yeah, I think it's a great example of putting your mechanics where your message is. Right. Which is always yeah. very cool. It also has the side effect of if that were actually a mechanic in the game that had to to stick around forever, like the narrative would have to branch wildly to be able to support that. Oh, this character, what do they currently think about these things? You know, how do we, you know, will they say one of 10 things depending on what uh, you've done in their mind at the time? But while it feels very wide, it ends up becoming very linear and then doesn't have to get repeated. So it, it takes away that potential of like a wildly branching part of the game. So um, from a game design perspective, I think it was a, a good choice too. I feel like that takes us pretty cleanly into the plot structure. Will and I played a lot of this together and you were spouting some interesting thoughts that I wanted to kind of hear more about. I think this is really interesting because I, I wonder if this is part of what Craig was having a trouble with in the game, too. I could, you know, coming from the outside, it would be easy for, like, there are some obvious game structures that would have made sense, and they seem to go out of their way to subvert those expectations. For example, you have what is kind of the, kind of the open world, kind of like the base hub, and it seems like, okay... So I, I kind of think of it like XCOM, right? You've got this base hub, you build up the base hub, you get different abilities at this base hub, and then you go off on missions. Mm -hmm. um, there's only one mission that your team goes <laughs> off on in this game, and even that isn't a good way of describing like it as a mission. The one quote-unquote mission that you go off on 
is like four different brains that you go into, a bunch of different scenarios that get brought up. And then you come back and it's like, um, just walk down the hall and grab Ford Prefect. And it ends up being a little bit more of the traditional, okay, this is actually three tasks and each of these tasks has to be completed and come back together. And you can kind of see that a little bit better. Um, but even that, all those three tasks get done very differently. And each of them has a different level of like levels deep, levels uh, like inception levels deep. Like at one point we were... Um, Weren't we like four missions in at some point? How did we, man, how did we describe that? Yeah, it was, we were talking to the girl about doing something to get the honey. And the reason we needed the honey was to talk to the guy about the bees. So the reason we needed to talk to the guy about the bees was to get a bowling alley ticket. And the reason we needed a bowling alley ticket was to talk to one of the guys, one of the parts of Ford Prefect or a Ford um, crawler. Crawler. Like (laughs) it, 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 it got crazy with how deep we were getting into, like you know, the that old Fractal video game plot. trope. We'll track the, or we'll trade this to get this to get this to get this. Yeah. But I thought it did a really good job of not, you know, being here's a mission list. Go to mission one, complete mission one. Now go on to mission two. Like everything seemed to flow really well into feeling really organic. When I picked up this game and I first played it, I was pretty into it and as soon as the game opened up into the open world i just quit not like intentionally but i just like as soon as i kind of was like oh this is an open world there's like a hub i'm gonna have to go around and like learn the level and do all the a bunch of errands all around it and when we committed to doing a podcast on it i picked it up and kind of got past that but that pretty much went away sort of it it was kind of I don't to steal a term from like Naughty Dog, right? It was wide linear, yeah. In that the open world and that hub, I had a similar reaction to you, Nate, where I was like, "I'm here for this to be like." There's a steel thread that you follow throughout the entire narrative, and I don't. I'm coming to this specifically because of the plot, because of how it's going to take on mental health and what it has to say, much more than I am for this to be like a spanning multi-hour experience with a lot of agency on the player's choice of like how to go and tackle different issues. Um, But as we're talking about that, I recognize like being able to choose how you're going to tackle your problems and what type of issues you want to go and, you know, address first. Yeah. is kind of a, a piece that does fit part and parcel with the narrative. And to that point, the open world, while it does exist there and, for me, the pacing of that always did provide some sort of slowdown, right? There is a, I need to traverse and kind of get to the next place, but there's not really a point in how I travel across this. Like even when it opens up and you can go outside of um, the actual school and you need to get over to some of the other places, it's like it, those gameplay moments didn't contribute to the story. It was like, oh, I just need to get over there and that journey wasn't like oh there's something in here that's like contributing to the narrative or it's talking about me facing my challenges it was like oh i just need to hop across a couple of things so i can jump over the water and get to the next you know narrative beat um so it never truly connected in that way to me nate i really this isn't really in opposition to that but i something i really was struck by was that it felt like 
for the most part, with some exceptions. It's an open world game where we only traversed every area once. Sort of. I mean, you had the option to... It depends on how much you guys spent on, like, traveling to some of the more optional areas also. Not a lot. And I, like, I really liked at the end of a mission when it was time to return, the game just, like, took you back instead of, like, forcing you to trek across the level. I definitely noticed that a few times. The fast travel was awesome as well, like, being able to get through the areas. You kind of forced us to skip the going back into the memories, so, like... Yeah, I was like, no, we're not doing that. Because to me, it seemed like much more of a... I guess we're getting into something I don't know how to, like, describe, which is, like, did the structure of this game work for you in what it was trying to do? Personally, I think it would have been stronger if it was a more linear title. Are That's... you thinking, like, a an artful escape type situation? So, I haven't played the artful escape, but... As far as something, um, it's like Edith Finch, right? Like you're going into a bunch of different worlds and you're experiencing different narratives that are happening, but there's like a clear path between one to the next. Like having the opportunity to go and explore the world and kind of navigate and pick up random collectibles in all the world wasn't an additive experience to me. And in fact, I was like, hey, I... Like, I want to get to the next thing, like, more than I want to go and explore what this space has to offer. I I don't know if it's because of the way the way we played it or, like, I, I'm not sure why. But for me, this very much did feel like a linear experience. Like, even when we were qu- dropped into the quote-unquote open world, um, like, the first several times Nate was talking about an open world, I didn't even... Like, one, I didn't know what he was talking about. Like, oh, this is just the level that we're dropped in now. Like, there is one bigger level that we come back to, and I guess that's the open world. Like, for me, like, you always knew... Um, I mean, like, the had, school has, the, like, a hub and map. Like, there's, like, literally a map in your thing that's, like, here's how to get to the every time you go places. to that center, it's telling you exactly where you should be going next. Yeah. And if you have any doubt, you look at your missions and it tells you exactly where to go next. Like, it's always... And there's only, like, one or two things you could... You never have, like, an abundance of choices to what to do. That's true. You could, you could ignore that and just go and, you know, check out areas before you have access or, you know... I mean, even that. Like, the first thing I wanted to do when I got to that hub was go to the bowling alley. It's like, no, bowling alley's not open. Go to your intern thing. Like... I, maybe it's because I found the one thing that was gated off immediately where it made me feel like, oh, I guess I just have to follow, you know, the linear game design. And Fine. if you don't, like, try to test those areas or test the areas in the right way initially, it can feel way more open. But for me, it, it I like, I saw the edges, I followed the path. And then after that point, it, it was a clear path that I followed almost the entire game. Although I think... I totally agree that in that initial area, it like clearly shepherds you like, hey, guess what? You can only go to class. But I was thinking a little bit in later game when you get access to some of the other tools where you can like find the mind connections that are just out in the open world. If you like hold left on the D-pad, I can't remember what the tool was called. Like those exist within the the world and there's more of that sort of stuff that you can find in the open areas um, to just we go and explore. We never used those once, did we, Will? <laughs> We ran into a thing where I think Nate 
got that tool and I was out of the room at the time and then he <laughs> didn't mention it and then I didn't even know it existed until I accidentally hit that button ten out 20 ten. hours into the game. Yeah. Great. Like, yep. What is this thing? And then, you know, as we're... Um, it's a way to make connections. As you drop back into the game uh, post-credits, they're like, oh yeah, go buy some more stuff from Octo, whatever. Yeah, or buy make more sure tools. you're testing and I was out like, your tools. Tools? What tools? Hold <laughs> left. I thought that was funny. It's interesting because normally I really gravitate towards... Uh, I don't even like saying it this way, but a less gamey game, more of an experience, less of a game, you know? Normally that's kind of my wheelhouse, but I really liked the amount of game that there was in this game. I thought it was cool to feel still like it was a story-driven linear experience, but with enough game there to, you know what I mean when I say game? <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> either you're getting exactly what I mean, or this just sounds like a weird ramble. I... Uh... I had a theory, I kind of, we talked about this a little bit as we were playing, right? Um, for better or worse, a bunch of the games that I've been playing lately have been like oh, PS2 games. I've been playing <laughs> through a bunch of Kingdom Hearts. like a PS2 been, game. Um, so what I'm wondering is, like, coming to this from Kingdom Hearts, you're like, oh yeah, this plays fine. I can jump on anything. It's way easier to jump on stuff than it is to jump stuff in Kingdom Hearts. Sure, what, no big deal, right? And I wonder if, you know, I'd been playing Ratchet and Clank recently or something that my perceptions of the quote unquote gameplay in this game would be drastically different because it, it all just felt fine. Like, you know, it's nothing great, but it just all felt fine to me. I think the correct play order is Psychonauts 2 and then the new Ratchet and Clank. Is that correct? Yeah, it's absolutely correct because this game does not feel good to play. Like, I... I... I I Can agree that fine is a perfectly good way to describe this. I would not say it plays good um, and you... actively did not enjoy some of the platforming mechanics of the game throughout it. Like we've heard um, through some, you know, very a bunch of different critical resection, similar comments, right? This is a quote unquote bad playing game. I'm curious if you can... Um, like to as fine a detail as you possibly can give some examples of like what felt bad because I'm, I'm not sure I, I would like to hear more about like what is not keeping up in that aspect of this game I think the most challenging aspect for me was how the character moves within space did not feel particularly predictable or responsive in like distance that you may travel. So to get hyper-specific, right? Like making a jump from either to a flying trapeze or onto a specific beam and making sure that you would land accurately on that. I don't feel like the game ever did you any favors as far as having a consistent level of interaction that you're like, oh, okay, every single time that I jump, I'm going to get this far, this distance, and it, it just, that was the specific piece where I was like, this just doesn't feel good. And there's multiple times where I'm like, I think I'm doing the same thing and I'm getting a different response from the character. And I that was that where. felt like a camera problem, but that view of it makes a lot more sense. There was, there was one room in particular where I missed a jump five times and had to keep like 
walking back up the, in the room. It was one of the areas kind of near the lost forests. Um, oh, yeah. But but it's this very obvious long trek down to the spot where you come, bounce up and then come back on some rails. Yeah. And I kept missing it over and over. Um, and then there was some, like, Nate pointed out, oh, you're jumping way too early. That pa- that 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 ramp is longer than you think it is. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then, you know, the, the same thing with the, the, uh, the rails, rail to rail. I was like, oh, man, yeah. I keep making the same mistake, almost exactly what you're talking about. I, I couldn't tell what to expect when I jumped off the rail. So I get all that. But that entire section took me four minutes and then never appeared again. Right. That's so that's the other piece here, right? I wouldn't say that these are game-breaking experiences, but they were definitely experiences that in a game to me that's facilitated by its narrative and those other places, having that just get in the way always stood in probably starker contrast towards what I was here for, right? So, like, having that come up, I think, always, like, almost, like, shot out the other direction where I was like, oh, man, that feels not great and disrupts the flow of the story and kind of, like, the flow that you're into. And I think that's why it always stood out to me. Um, But I, I... want to make it clear that it's definitely not a game-breaking piece, and they even do some things to try and increase the flexibility there, where you can definitely tell that they've increased the uh, zone in which you can land on something. So, like, if, like, one foot is, like, off a platform or something like that, right, it's like, oh, you're on, right? So, things like that that you see in Crash Bandicoot ended up figuring out in its sequels, right, of, like, hey, we should give the players a little bit of extra bonus space or Celeste recently was has had a bunch of breakdowns of like, hey, if the character is off the platform, they can still jump to increase how that feels, or even seeing the shadow of your character, so you can kind of tell where it's going to land. So those things are there, but I think it was the interruption to the flow that always made it feel worse and like compounded the effect of the gameplay. There were a couple of situations I can think of now that I'm thinking about it in retrospect where... I was like, why can't I make this jump? Oh, there's my shadow. I'll look at my shadow, and my shadow is just in the wrong place. Like, yeah. what? That, that didn't even, it, like, it was worse than helpful, or it was worse than mildly helpful. It, like, <laughs> made me do it even worse than I was doing in the first place. Um, I am uh, looking at our uh, our list here, and I think the part of the quote-unquote gameplay that I hated in this game was the freaking power wheel. I didn't like it at all. It, it you can, you know, you get this, uh, I think it's like eight different powers, and you can map four of them at any one time. Yeah. First of all, I've got more buttons on my... my Absolutely. On my controller. Oh, man. So that drove me crazy. And then I was always remapping. Four was never enough abilities. Oh, man. Like, you're going to... There's literally a button on the controller left on the D-pad which we didn't know existed, didn't do anything. <laughs> like, there were multiple buttons on that joystick, which never did it anything useful. And, like... To Down hide, being a health item. I... You get tutorialized for buying a health item once. Yeah, I and forgot I about it. And I never, ever bought game. another high... Like, you can buy them. Um, which, you know, seemed great, I guess, if you're fighting your super hard boss or anything, something. But you never but pick one up in the game world. If I don't you think. die, 
you get reset like a half a step back from where you died. It, yeah. It, there's no, uh, like no repercussions to dying. I don't. I. I mean, I didn't see like a difficulty. We didn't like play on baby mode or something. Like it. It seems super forgiving. I. Yeah. If we're in this space where dissecting some of the problems with the game specific to the mechanic functions here. I absolutely agree. The powers wheel was terrible. And I think one of the places that became a challenge was, well, to your point, multiple times I was like, there's a lot of other buttons on here that you can map stuff to that we could be doing something else or that you can make quicker access to. And for a portion of the game, it didn't really matter. Like you could kind of sit in like four functions and get through any of the combat encounters and things of that nature. But as you get into later games and there's just like combat arenas which i'm like why are there combat arenas in this game it's clearly not a strength of it i don't want to sit here and play through a bunch of defeating enemies especially as you get further into the game the enemies and what they represent from an emotional standpoint feels further disconnected from the emotional standpoint of their introduction and going into those it's clear that you need to be transitioning between different powers because they have specific weaknesses to some of those powers and there might be multiple characters on the battlefield at any given time that require more than four of your powers to combat against and in those moments it's just like why is this a thing it wasn't like there was any theme in the level either right you right could have tied like four types that had four yeah and and that's a i i feel like that's a miss on the game because i found the ways that enemies were introduced early on and the types being tied into emotions or sensors or things that you know kind of hold you back could have been a very strong way to connect that into the thematic material of the levels and at a certain point it was like no this is how we fill up the space in between the moments of story i am curious that uh we how was experience different by you guys playing this together and me playing it siloed it like reminds me of like a game reviewer of like i'm in my own space not talking to anyone about my experiences yeah i think sharing in the joy of this game was extremely helpful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. agreed this was a great game to play with other people yeah i think i would have been caught up more in the joy had i played with someone else yeah. So I think what's interesting, I feel a little uncomfortable because I'm never in this position to <laughs> what I'm hearing you say, Greg, is extremely familiar to me in less game, more art, more story, please. Uh, I feel like that's always the position I'm holding down and it's very startling to be on the other end of it. And it's, I've, I feel slightly dissociated from myself, like what is happening? Because I'm absolutely there on this game. Yeah, I feel that way a lot, and I get that a lot. Um, I think I'm kind of investigating why I didn't feel so much that way in this game, although I did think the—I I didn't mind the platforming so much because I didn't think it was good, but I the levels were so delightful that I didn't really mind spending extra time there, and also the punishment was so gentle that there was no real threat. And also you made me do it most of the time? I, I would say I made you do it even less than the combat, which just doesn't feel great. 
And I kind of wish that you'd just started with your powers upgraded to just find more of the fun in that. Because when the powers got upgraded, it was a little better. It, I guess, sort it, felt of like like, the, it felt like the powers grew a little faster than the enemies got harder, right? It's like in some games you have it designed exactly equal, so you're not really having like more of a, like, Yeah, I, I do feel like combat got a little easier as the game went on. Um, but I, I, I would say that I minded the combat more than the, that it felt perfunctory and added, but I think overall, and we're going to talk about this in a couple sections, so I don't really want to jump into it right now, but there's just so much fucking art in this game. You guys, like, I don't mind additional mechanics if it means I get to see more of the fucking art team just firing on all cylinders. Um, so I, I think to me, that was a big part of why even in the flaws of the game, I was still kind of smiling. I could, I could see some of that. The, yeah, we were talking about the kind of locomotion of the characters, right? And how you traverse and navigate the world originally, but the combat did truly feel perfunctory to your point in a lot of the yeah. areas. And yep, I, the combat leveling always up does to me though. Like, I don't know yeah. why. Fair. Like, why leveling is that in games? Also, didn't really matter, right? Like, I was like level whatever 60 something when the game finished but craig did you could I, buy new idol animations yeah <laughs> like the pens all of the combat mechanics like all of those extra places all felt fairly bolted on in a way that didn't feel completely you know congruous with the rest of the gameplay design i was feeling so much like kind of joy and love at the game itself but one of the moments where I did get thrown out of that into like, what in the world was just kind of going through the menus, how there's like more tabs in the menu that it feels like there should be. And there's like maps hidden in sub menus. And there's just a little bit more like the level of like menuness clues you into the amount of like game that's kind of going on that probably all could be just like eh, drawn in a little bit. Yeah. If you click on like the level you're in and it's like the brain of something and there's like, hey, here's all the puzzle pieces and all the things you can collect and all of the memory banks that are accessible and all of this extra collectible stuff that you can do in this world. And you're like, uh, neat. Yeah. Um, I don't want to end our talking about the mechanics. I think it's going to come up a lot more, but I realize we haven't even talked about the making of this game. Why is it a thing? What it, is it? Has it been 17 years since the original? Is that right? 2005. Will you, will you, sweet Greg, take us on a tour of why Psychonauts 2 and how? <laughs> Was it sweet Phil Spencer? Sure. I mean, yeah, Phil Spencer is definitely a part of it. Yeah, so Psychonauts 1 originally came out in 2005. It was essentially, it wasn't essentially, it was considered a absolute commercial failure. Sold about 400,000 retail units. And with a severe financial loss for Majesco, who published it at the time, it grew a cult following, though, and obviously had a huge kind of crowdsourcing initiative that helped to maintain its reputation amongst gamers and really within the industry at large. Double Fine ended up getting the rights to the game after Majesco sold it back to them and re-released it in digital distribution, which it ended up selling over 1.7 million units. So considerably oh. more successful over time. Oh. Yeah. 
and then Psychonauts 2 was announced back in 2015, so six years prior to release, and was kind of on the back end of Double Fine being extremely successful within the crowdfunding of some of their other titles and announcing that, hey, if we can get enough funding for this, and I think at the time it was $3.3 million, then, then we'll go through and make it. So they launched it with Fig, which was yep. a... They made crowdsourcing. Fig, right? Yeah, they, code, it, they code partnered developed. with it. Yeah, and that was a way that kind of gave investors. So you weren't just like paying for it and hoping to get a product in return. You were actually an investor in the product and would get returns based on the sales. And then, as part of that, there was also a publishing deal that they signed with Starbreeze, who you may have remembered published like the Chronicles of Riddick's games and made those and the darkness and got into publishing. Um, I forget. Yeah. They ended up going out of bankruptcy in 2018, which ended up impacting the development and the financing of this game. But then Microsoft in 2019 acquired Double Fine and bought out the publishing rights from Starbreeze, which enabled Double Fine to complete it. And Double Fine said they were actively working to cut boss fights, which, you know, I would have been a fan if they would have kept those cut. But they were actively cutting content to try and finish the game. Microsoft's funding ended up enabling them to complete that content, continue to launch on the platforms that they had promised, which was a multi-platform game, even under Microsoft's publishing as Xbox Game Studios, and push the release out a few times into 2021 i think it was originally 2019 so they they took a little bit more of a runway to finish out the game but yeah it was quite a journey and now microsoft owns double fine and that's how we got to here thank goodness for monopolies and acquisitions my <laughs> takeaway from that a little bit we will and i in the credits loved that there was only one writing credit Craig has since clarified that other seemingly notably leaning towards the PlayStation family of games have also been written by quite few numbers of people, but it is pretty fucking delightful that twice as many people designed the logo of the game as did write it. <laughs> that is pretty great. It was interesting also that Psychonauts 1, right, was revered for its similar concept. There was clearly a story force game and the writing was highly praised there. And also, when they were originally working on Psychonauts 2, they were bringing back Eric Wolpaw, who co-wrote the first one. And he came back to Double Fine, but ended up not working on this and then went to Valve. So he's Whoa. also the writer of Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and 2, writer on Portal, co-writer on Left 4 Dead, writer on Portal 2, and co-writer on Half-Life Alex. So... Uh, this person sounds like a boss. Yeah, so he was, uh, like I said, co-writer on Psychonauts 1, was going to be a co-writer on Psychonauts 2, but ended up leaving uh, Double Fine and going to Valve. Tim Shaver was like, that. I'm not sure I've why. got this. You've got Half-Life 3 to write. Yeah. We understand. <laughs> you have more important things to do, good sir. Yeah, <laughs> what a journey for them to finish this game, though. Six years is a fucking crazy. Yeah. And for it to feel cogent at all is crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's fair. 
Which might explain why some of it does feel a little, I don't think, dragged on, but it almost feels like there's two games in some ways. So that brings us to art. Yes. Holy shit, the art in this game. I just wanted to, at, at some point I turned to Will in the middle of playing this and said, Will, someone let the art department out of the dungeons and they haven't put them back yet and they seem to keep going. And it's like, it feels like this game is like someone turned the art budget up to 11. It's freaking beautiful at all times. Yeah, in what way? Do you mean within the world design, within the character design, all of the yes. above? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's, I, how many, how many teens of years did you say it's been since the original and this character design is still like utterly iconic and timeless? It's weird to me that the like surrealist 1990s Nickelodeon aesthetic hasn't made it to like more games because it just seems like such a good fit for games. It's like pseudo cell shading. Kind of. Kind of. To me, the, the thing that really went wild is that, particularly when you're in people's minds, there's a lot of, uh, like, I think non-Euclidean is kind of a cheap way to say what I'm talking about, but not quite right. I think of, like, like one of the ones that particularly stood out was in the mailroom, where you go into a slot, you go through this entire world in the slot, and at the bottom is the slot coming out, which is right next to the slot going in, and you can kind of, like, look around, and there's a whole world tied between these two slots. There's tons of times where you're never really sure where the gravity's going to go. There's times... Like in the ambulance where the way to go forward is just turn around and go backward. Like the world feels random. But, but like designed. But designed to be random in a good way. Yeah. There, there was a spot where we were stuck for, you know, a couple minutes on top of this tower. And Nate's like, man, I just need to figure out how to turn on a fan. And... We couldn't, like, did we need, were we missing ability? We did something. We just looked around the world and, oh, there's a fan over there. If I just shoot it, it'll turn on and, and fix our problem for us. Like, there's just <laughs> so much. There's a spot where you're running through the pages of a book. Oh, those um, which were so cool. fucking looked beautiful. Yeah, the I was like, can this game just be a 2D platformer? Because I'm here for that. <laughs> The transitions in that area felt like they came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden she was just tearing up the book. Oh, man. Like, the way things transition between each other, the way uh, every single world felt completely different. Like, there's a spot where you're running on the outside of a cube. There's a spot where you're running through tunnels. There's a spot where you're going backwards and forwards. There's, you know, sometimes the big boss is you know, this giant shadow of a colossus looking thing that you're approaching the entire time. Other times, the quote-unquote boss is a turnip that's being carried by a, uh, a raven as you're going through the, the world. Like, <laughs> other times, the boss is the concert that you have to, to, to freaking host. Like, there was a spot in that concert level where all of a sudden there was like a... Um, uh shit what's the game that's not cooking mama uh uh battle chef brigade nope uh the cooking, overcooked the tea overcooked there's like an overcooked 
overworld in the middle of the game for no reason. Just so you can like pick which section you want to go next. Like there's so much cool shit going on all the time. It felt everything felt super unique. Like every the 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 quote unquote overworld that you guys were talking about. Like even that, like you can see the structure the of the least world. Least interesting part of the game. But then there's an entire outside that that is just as big, if not bigger, than than the the inside of the quote unquote overworld. There's just so much going on all the time. Like the treehouse and how you get up to the treehouse was super cool. Yeah, the the um the the team up scene at the end of the casino mission. I thought it was super cool how all of a sudden it had, um, if you've ever seen Final Fantasy Advent Children, the part where they're all teaming up to fight Bahamut, like it, all of a sudden it felt the same way. Like, oh, we need to go up to the top of this tower. Let's bring all these kids with all of their different abilities in. And uh, you're still platforming, but what it means to be platforming and, and uh, just wildly changes as you're you're going down this mission just to get to the top of this tower. Um sure. Man. I want to key in on that specific point because that was such a memorable moment for me within the game where the like mechanics of teaming up and working with others to solve a problem, right? Like how that ties into the overarching narrative within mental health and challenges and like, hey, if you work together, you can come through this. If you share in your challenges, people can support you. And I felt like that was dramatically underexplored and that I think there's only two moments where you kind of come together with all of your teammates to solve a problem and they were the and maybe for better and for worse right those two moments ended up being some of the most powerful moments in the game but it also was something where it left me wanting and searching for more where I was like why is this not happening more often this is fucking awesome but I think also, there were more than two, but I do agree with you that there could have been a lot more. But also, I don't think this game's view of mental health is that simple. Like, it doesn't, True. it's not the game that constantly is like, hey, just talk to your friends and that yeah, solves your issues. If you share everything, things will be better. Like, the, yeah, I think it has a lot to say about kind of self resiliency and learning. Yeah. I hear what you mean, though, in terms of like the coolness factor. Yeah. And, to Will's point, right, within the art, I think perception was something that it seems like the art director or someone there had a very keen eye of, like, how do we play with perception, right? How do we change how if you start to move the camera, you can see into a different part of the world that's different than if you see and flip it around the other direction, right? Like, you're literally seeing into a different space or... Um, totally. How does Raz move into a space? And I think there was like where you're like walking up a path and you're getting smaller as you go into the next room. And some of those pieces were incredibly well executed. Where I was like, this is, there's some, for how simple the game might look at certain points with that art style, there's some incredibly complex technical things that are occurring here to service all of this, which I thought was super, super damn cool. A highly underutilized area, but really shines in this area too, is the, um, is it cognition? The one where you're jumping into other people's brains? Yeah. 
And then you see the little icon of what the, that person thinks of Raz. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> fucking hilarious. There's so many, I forget who sees you as like a shrink in a chair. It's just. To yeah, be fair, I barely like use that ability because it was like kind of a useless there, ability for the most part. There was one spot where you, there's a couple that are, that are standing next to each other and one of them super into bacon, understandable. But then the other one like totally has a crush on the guy who's into bacon and like tries to make a move on him. And he's like, wait, what? But it, man, there's just so much going on. Um, the, there, the, the same, it's funny because the same way you were describing. That's what it's called. The same way you were describing the way the visuals work, you know, like you look at it from a different angle, you can kind of see different things. Like there's parts of the story that kind of feel, feel that way too. There was a, 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 there's a scene where like the first time you're walking out of the headquarters, you come across this, this couple that are talking to each other and like in the matter of like 10 seconds, they undercut expectations like five times and they're like, the, there's the two of them and then they imply that they're having an affair, but what would happen if the, the husband found out and then they're like, oh, oh, yeah. well, you know, the thing that they don't let the husband to find out is that they forgot his birthday or something. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, of course, he's super cool about birthdays ever since he found out we were having an affair. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, yeah. Oh, man. So much cool shit in this game. Uh, I love that the character expressibility was so high that Raz can just react with grimaces when people say things. Like, I, that is a really cool perk of, like, delivering on your art, I feel like. I feel like that's part of the cartoon-like aspect of this, right? You mentioned the Nickelodeon art aspect. I think one of those, like, the hallmarks of that is, like, over-expressionism. I'm sure there's a more technical term for that, but, like... Using these exaggerated facial kind of interactions to tell a story. Yeah. Which I think plays very well here. Yeah. I think they did a really good job in like particularly the character design in using that to being able to to help. Um there's stuff like when you go and meet the the hand and the ears and the eyes and like um the how you turn an ear into a full face is just crazy. Or the butterfly who you can look at and at the same time as you can see a butterfly talking, you can also see the face in the butterfly's wings that are talking. Uh, like, it's a moth. Uh, yes. <laughs> <But> yes. <laughs> um, well, actually. In, in addition to the characters being like super interesting and super well-designed, and I know we're going to come back to the, the character in the wheelchair, I'm sure, or the psychic wheelchair, I'm sure. Um, but everybody's, the, the costuming, if you want to throw that into parts like character design, everything felt great from the, you know, the Sergeant Pepper stage to... That stage sucked. The... Whoa! <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it that, didn't. Oh, <laughs> man. That was, it, it was an interesting, no, there was an interesting area, but it's just, this is truly an independent moment where that is not my vibe at all. Like the very psychedelic Sergeant Pepper inspired area. I was like this, I'm, I'm fully done with it. And it was definitely a section that was three levels too long. Um, where I was like, oh man, we're doing more festivals here. I have to keep going with these guys. Just because um, of the art style. 
I think it was kind of the entire the entire world interaction never clicked with me fully. Huh. Um, the characters and like the concerts and those places didn't ever. I was like, I'm. I get that I need to get the band back together. Yada Craig, yada yada. Let me let me just correct you here. I can't think of another cooler time when an album cover was used as a game mechanic. I, I probably can't challenge that, but I can still say it doesn't <laughs> resonate with me. Uh, Although the musical you must number to finish that was fucking great. So yeah, it was the really payoff great. there was very good. And really strong. I, I want to talk about this when I recommend other games, but I felt a really strong connection to Wander Song in those moments. The like musical mm. concert with the like highly neon, like psychedelic, flat two D people, like very wander songy, which is cool. Maybe I just need to be on mushrooms or something. Um, maybe. maybe. I mean, you're, I didn't mean to imply you're not allowed to not like it. That's totally fine. <laughs> it is quite visually harsh. Um, I don't think it was that as harsh. It was just I actually thought it was. I found it the opposite direction. I thought it was so unified, and it's too mellow palette that it became uninteresting because it was so much just here like we're just kind of gonna throw fire at your eyeballs and i'm like well this actually doesn't have the contrast of a world that would be more interesting to interact with yeah um i feel like i should have said dark side of the moon earlier i assume that was the album cover you were talking about Nate. correct yeah which is interesting because we record one day after shamelessly play the first album you ever bought day. Which, yeah, for me, it was Dark Side of the Moon. And it was Pony by Genuine. Craig, what, what even is that, Will? A tremendous song. Haven't we literally had this as a question, actually, in Emotive Pixels <laughs> Deep Time? <laughs> we'll save that for the next one. Oh, good. Did we? I think we, we did. did actually. Yeah. It would not surprise me. Wasn't someone's blue by Eiffel 65 or whatever album that came on? Okay. Uh, Will, you mentioned it briefly, the bespokeness of all the assets. You had mentioned to me that you wanted to compare it to Last of Us. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Yeah. I mean, uh, in particular, uh, so to take a step back, right? One thing you look at in this game, like a lot of the criticisms, and even us, right? We look at the the gameplay of this game could have been better, right? Uh, and you think, you know, the the first thought is, well, why didn't they spend more money on making this game feel like a better game? And I feel like at any particular time, if you were to put more money into this game, you would, like, Tim Schafer would spend that money building more story, building more levels, like getting deeper, the psychic seven would be the psychic nine. Like there's there there doesn't there doesn't ever become a time where you would ever choose to make the design better. If you had the money to invest in this game, you would choose to invest that money in making it feel better. Like I wanted to compare it to Last of Us in particular, it, pretty pretty much anything by Naughty Dog, where it feels like. That game feels amazing to transverse through the worlds. You, like, there are bespoke character animations to doing pretty much anything standing next to anything. You might 
shove a zombie into a wall or slam a zombie into a counter or use, you know, the, the little counter flap that, that uh, <laughs> ner- uh, waitresses go to go behind stuff to smack somebody in the face or reach over and grab a bowling pin off the ground and smack a zombie with it. Like w- what you're doing is totally like fits with the world and fits at all times. And they spend all this time to make it feel like Joel can do anything in this world and like should i have expected that coming from this game and like sure it would have made the experience nicer but if but like exactly like i was saying a second ago like if you had that extra money um like giving me another world that's that seems trippy seems like a much more uh investment in line with what they were trying to do this game so like i get that this game didn't feel perfect but i feel like i i couldn't even imagine a world in which they wanted to make it feel better i'm not gonna even combat that because i think you're dead on as you were describing the different worlds that we experience the different level design um one of the things to focus on there is the uniqueness of all of those and that the content created is one of the most expensive ways to create content, which is essentially one-time use, right? Like, here is this one thing that you're going to experience and we're not going to reuse the asset again throughout the game, right? You're not... It's not like Spider-Man where you have the same type of you know the buildings five buildings times. yeah exactly and like oh, okay well you can just put you can slap a different texture on the front of it it's like no these like the way that you interact with it or the actual geometry of these objects is clearly different maps never feel the same the skyboxes never feel worse. the same like how you're running around think gravity never feels barely ever feels the same that's I think that's why true. it's hard for me to take too much grievance with the mechanics is every mechanic that there is gives me more time in these crazy levels that I haven't really seen anything else like before. It's the hard part there is like um the focus on on the mechanical interaction within some of those worlds is one of the places that was a challenge, right? Where like the bowling area specifically where you're kind of traveling through while you're on top of a bowling ball and like going through like the city line and moving things around. And I like wrote in my notes, Oh yay. Marble madness. I was like, I for better and worse. I was like, Oh, this is cool. We're going to do something different. And then the other flip side of that, I was like, this game isn't good at handling fine tune movement in any aspect so making this the key way that you interact with this area is not exactly where i would have put my energy but again like i respected the world design but it is challenging when that bumps up against how you actually interact with it yeah absolutely i I definitely made nate play all the marble sections and (laughs) until this weekend nate didn't know what marble madness was would you believe it I would yes, I would absolutely believe, believe that. Uh, I crushed all those sections. What is marble madness? <laughs> is this just Super Monkey Balls mechanic? But before that, it's an Atari game from '84. 
It's before we my, were alive. It's an arcade game, too. This looks dope. Wait my a girlfriend minute. and I... With Sweet Bark Cerny? Yeah. Now we're back to the whole Sony thing. Yep. It always comes back to Sony. So my girlfriend and I uh, have gone to Disneyland more times than probably appropriate for adults, but whatever. Um, it's really adult for adults. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. But um, one of the rides that she likes that I just kind of tolerate is the Small World ride. Your pony. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> we did look up the lyrics to my pony and we were chuckling about it. <laughs> it's a small world. Go on. You learn about right. Rulovia there, right? Are any of you guys familiar with the Small World ride? Yeah. No. The Grilovian map is a, it's a small world. It's like exactly oh, what shit. that ride is. I figured. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. So it's a small world is supposed to be this like unifying international. It's all about celebrating cultures from all across the world. Uh, seeing, um, you know, how it, it it's kind of highlighting how everybody across the world is different, but can kind of be different in the same ways, kind of. It's, it's got a overlying, uh, unifying message. I think it that's, came from the World Fair as well, right? Cool. That sounds right. So that said, you know, it's kind of this cute little, it's, it's you're sitting in a boat watching some very primitive puppet show stuff go go along. It's all children, right? Very mostly called, children, yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of the time... Like, I'm sitting around, like, looking backward in the boat and looking at, oh, how did that puppet get made? Or, uh, wow, where did that thing come from? How, what, what's, you know, kind of always curious about the mechanics of how, what would happen if I just jumped out of the ride right now? What, what, what would happen? <laughs> um, so it felt like I got a lot of that in this game, right? What if I jumped out of this and just jumped up in the rafters and, and saw what was going on here? And so the, the section of this game that is the, you know, the Grulovian history told in it's a small world theme pastiche uh, really i thought it was cool uh for me on that account i it's thought really, that was super interesting yeah it's a really cool i i didn't have that connection i didn't even think about that um but now that you say it i can't unsee it similar to you mentioning that isn't it funny when as a kind of guiding principle to the the narrative constructs that were created I thought it was really fucking cool that this game about psychology got into like mythologizing nation building and propaganda. And like, I was like, whoa, this is wildly crazily interesting. That, um, do you think that has anything to do with the time scale in which the game was created? That like, as it was finished, was during the Trump administration? <laughs> probably. And that you layer in a I, piece to the Lovia yeah. Yeah. Seems almost to me it felt almost as a surprise. Like I and I'm curious to your guys' perspective on this of if that felt telegraphed or if there was earlier messages that I missed along the way for the Grulovia, like that there's an empire and a whole bunch of stuff there where it kind of felt like when that entire section played out, I was like, uh, this feels like a new thing that's getting dropped in to explain some of the villainous aspects of the world in the back third of this game. 
I think uh, Nick John Smith, his involvement of it felt like that to me. There were different, definite aspects of, I was really, I had this, I don't know why, I had this expectation that we were going to go, go out and go find and go confront Maligula. So the fact that she was there the whole time and we confronted her without ever having to leave the brain space um, did feel a little like sudden and, and kind of popped up in on me in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting. And, and some of that was like, you know, I figured when we were going to go out and confront her, we would figure out, oh, this is the thing in her area that was causing her to, you know, you, you kind of expect, okay, if she was one of the Psychic Seven, then sure, she wasn't always a bad guy. There was something that uh, corrupted her or something, you know, something that, that caused it. And I actually, you know, to take a sidestep, I really do like that they said that the reason that she was so susceptible to that is not just because she was some weak woman out there doing whatever, but they were in a specific mental headspace that caused them to be overly susceptible. And like, okay, I get that. And like, they warned they were warned not to, to go there, but it was such a uh, compelling reason that she had to leave that, that she got caught up in it. So that I felt good about. But yeah, I, because I was expecting to go there and expecting for there to be a bad guy there, the fact that all of that happened within the... the I really wish I remember what the brain space is called. Now um, I have to watch it up. The fact that all of that happened within the headquarters did feel like a bit of a, a coincidence. Uh, schadenfreude? No. Uh, what's a good word for, like, deus ex... Uh, Diablo sex machina? How about that? Devils from the machine? Like our bad guy was here the whole time? Like, oh, uh, okay. It felt a little too convenient. Um, Is that kind of how you're feeling too, Craig? Yeah. And in a weird way, it also didn't necessarily take away from the world, like in the narrative. Because I think by the time I got to that point in the game and towards the end, the overarching narrative became less important than kind of the vignettes of the specific characters and felt like the stories that were being told there were you know, more scoped in to target specific pieces that to me, it felt like it had lost the overarching of like, how do we, how do we link all of this into one broad overview? Yeah, I guess it kind of did feel like it was becoming more and more about getting to know your mother lobe. There we go. Mother lobe. Like, I wonder, I, and I wish some of us had played uh, Rhombus of yeah. Ruin. Because in theory, Nick John Smith was in that character's head through most of Rhombus of Ruin. And like the one time we talked to him and he seems like a, he's like a, a guiding figure and actually feels like he's the, the CEO, the, the guy in charge, um, feels like a very Dumbledore guiding figure and that coming from who later is revealed to be Nick John Smith feels incongruous. So like, there's definitely some of that where I'm like, ah, uh, it feels like late. Nick wouldn't have said that. Nick wouldn't have been as helpful and like 
pointing me in the right direction as as I would have expected at that point. Like there, there's, there definitely feels like it was conveniently written at the end. I think it was a great trick that was super effective on me and probably no one else to kind of distract from the plot and introduce like a a Soviet propaganda sort of like mini diorama world <laughs> plot out of nowhere to be like, oh, I interesting. Like in the world of how to resolve like where her villain origin story came from, that is like to me the most interesting way they could have possibly done that. Yeah, but don't um, you want like another I didn't want another five hours of this game, but I also felt like bringing that up and then not exploring it is also a choice. Exploring in what way? Like going more deeply into Grulovia? Yeah. Or how that's had other interactions amongst the world or its people outside of just his perspective. Oh, I can think of a ton of ways why I want to... I mean... One exploring Grilovia. Also, I'm saying I want to do that, but like, yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, narratively, it makes sense for like a nation defined by propaganda and false memories in people's minds to kind of exist only in this diorama form. Like, it would be weird if then the game was about going to this. That, you know what I mean? Like, Maybe I'm biased because I spend a lot of time thinking about the USSR, but absolutely would never, ever want to go there or think it's interesting. <laughs> like, it's interesting to think about how it all worked in the big picture, but not interesting to think about going to it. I don't know. There's parts they shortcut about this, that story, right? We know that Nick John Smith's father um, found some way to take advantage of Lily, found some way to take advantage of her psychic state or her, you know, psychic state, I guess is a good way to put it. She she somehow was uh, convinced to do horrible things to the people uh, of Grulovia. Like, I I think there's a lot more to to that could have been expounded on. Like, I I can see interesting stories around that. Like, what what happened there? How did how did she get herself into that position? Um, how did he take advantage of it? Also, I don't feel like we ever got any exploration about what were the repercussions of her being locked into that other mind for like 20 years, right? Some 15 years. She, she had her personality locked away. She, but also, um, or at least a part of it. Yeah. Also, we know that we know that Raz grew up appreciating this person. Like it was part of his family. But like, there's a whole exploration of this person that you thought was your family member not being who you thought it was. But also, like, do you do you still have any feelings for the person who it actually is? Like, the, there's a a bunch of interpersonal. Uh, there's a, there's a. It seems like there could be a very interpersonal deep story there, particularly around the father. You never go back to talk to how your father feels about having this. Um, yeah, pseudo mother hoisted upon him against his will, right? Man, there it just feels like there's a lot of um. That's where I'd really even, like to see the story go. Yeah, this, yeah. Even taking the story on its level in the types of story that they want to tell, I feel like there's still a ton more to explore. For 
games and worlds that get explored in other media, right? Like Dead Space got books written, right? <laughs> like there's all these other places that have had narrative that's continued on in other mediums. This feels like a place where there's a lot of interesting questions and stories to explore. And given the financial constraints of making and these games being commercially viable and successful, it really feels like some of these questions that you brought up will like would be well explored in graphic novels or novels as a whole and or even fanfic. Fanfic, yeah, then there might be a strong community given how I don't know vociferous the fandom was for this game. Like it's a it's an interesting space that there might be something to explore out there now. Let's just give that a little Google. Fanfiction.net slash game slash psychonauts. Is that really a website? Published May 15th, updated 23 hours ago. May 3rd, May 9th, May 9th, May 8th. Yeah, there's like multiple things coming up per week. I wonder what other games can we find on fanfiction.net? Think of a sure, random homework. game that shouldn't have any fanfiction. That shouldn't have any fanfiction? Yeah. Marble Madness. No, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we're looking up God of War. There's oh, tons of fanfic tons. with Norse mythology. Are you fucking kidding me? All of them. Norse mythology is man fanfic. Yeah. You're not wrong, but... Gravity Rush. Yeah, Patapon. this is twice per year. Okay. Tetris Effect. <laughs> Tetris Effect. <laughs> What's compelling content? Looking up Tetris fanfic. <clears throat> Live on air. Those blocks. I, I think something I think about a lot in video games. Um, what is the very description of this podcast we listen to now? It's we vary from systemic gameplay obsessors, parentheses, will, to art lovers, parentheses, Nate, uh, is how I decided to describe this podcast's like hosting. We should probably work Anna Craig in there, but um, I, think, I think I oscillate along that pendulum. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think one of the most interesting things in games to me is the degree to which games are systemic toy boxes versus art objects. And it seems really hard to be both of those things at a high level. It it feels often like be, the systemic toy box will take away from artfulness, for lack of a better word. You have your exceptions, or you have your games where art is present, but like, I guess I don't know where I would place like Baba is you on the spectrum. It clearly has an art style. It's not less artful. The Witness, of Jonathan Blows the Witness, the best game of all time, being an exception of true art and toy boxness. It just seems to me like it takes a really talented hand to produce a game that's both art and good game. And I can't decide if I am... And that, that's why I was so interested in Will bringing up this idea that if you had more money, the idea that you would kind of have to choose if you wanted to pump it into like more art, more, more uh, levels or better game. Like, I don't know if those two things are like a, what do you call it when it's a, like a, a zero sum thing? 
I guess is the word. But in many games I've seen, it seems that those are a zero-sum thing. And it's interesting that this game is so artful, as artful as some of the most arty experiences I've experienced that are very low on the game spectrum while being a little higher on the game spectrum. Um, I don't really have an intelligent way to conclude that, but it is... It, it it seems notable to me that this is like a triple A game that falls so far on the art side. I think that's cool. Unless anyone has a thought in response to that. Now now I'm down to talk about the music. Great. So Peter McConnell did the soundtrack. Um I thought the soundtrack was completely meh. I never really noticed it. It stood out and like appropriate film score type ways when it was supposed to. And I didn't spend too much time thinking about it. Um, I think the only call out for me as I kept getting uh, baited into thinking it was Star Wars scores. <laughs> um, it would be like the first five notes of uh, like the scene in Star Wars where they get their award, their medals, and you could you could hear it building up, and then instead of having the big drop, it was a different uh, refrain altogether. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> Every time, yeah. Roman, like, Ugh. it was great. So we we looked up Peter McConnell, and it turns out he's scored 16 Star Wars games. So <laughs> maybe once <laughs> you've done your fifth, it's impossible for Star Wars medleys to leave your brain. I don't know. Yeah, that's absurd. And isn't uh, some of the Star Wars songs, don't they use very like famous classical reframes to help set them up? Like there's like, uh, I'm not articulate enough with classical music to articulate what that would mean. But uh, yes, there is a lot of music theory in Star Wars music. Yeah, it's I think totally true that like that what I think of as the 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 stinger that starts the, all the credits could be come from somewhere else, but then you use that same stinger in this game, and I'm like, oh, I have a certain expectations, and then to to go somewhere else is like, oh man. There's also I forget what podcast it is. I'm sure it's not too hard to find. It dives into film score soundtracks, hmm. and the first episodes were on Star Wars, and he goes into like how every note. And the choice of note is a direct mirror of the plot of Star Wars. So dun 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 dun, dun like mirrors the rising and falling action and the hero's journey. Yes, I've, I've listened to oh the soundtrack show was um I don't know if it's still on but that he definitely covered multiple episodes on Star Wars and that's definitely where I was thinking from like a classical music inspiration. Yeah. So I think there's as much neuroticism about music history and using the music theory to make a theme as there is plot, um, like symbolism and that sort of deep, sort of weird, obsessive analysis. And I think there's a lot of that in film scores, and it's something I don't really know a lot about. I think that's about it on music. Meh. What should we talk about next? Yeah, meh. Meh. I don't um, know. I'm kind of curious for a almost a rapid fire section as far as what were your most appreciated moments of the game? Like what were just kind of some of the standout pieces that we didn't already cover through some of our other conversations. I really liked in the game show section, how you would, how they would cut to break and then <laughs> the characters that were enemies would be like shocked and confused to see you there. And it would start like the start, like battles in the most like, it's sort of narratively confusing, but hilariously appropriate way. 
that really made me laugh. Jack Black was a brain in a jar. Wait, really? Is that true? Mm-hmm. Where was he a brain Which, in a jar? There's a part where you're like looking for a brain to stick in Nick Johnson's oh, body. Oh, yeah, you're and there's the just lab. a brain sitting around, like floating around in the um, the atrium. You're like, hey, you want to go sit in this body? And he's like, nah. Oh, that's fantastic. I assume Tim Schafer's like actually legitimately friends with Jack Black, especially given previous work on Brutal Legend. Yeah, I think so other too. Games. Yeah. Yep. Um, I really liked how even when it was clear the game had an opinion against things, it was pretty loving about it. The example that comes to mind being the rich couple in the casino, like gambling for children. (laughs) Like it was so, the game is clearly against like obsequious wealth, but yet also it has the room in its heart to like find them funny. It's just, I think the mark of a really like wise, mature viewpoint. God, the end of that where they're like, all right we've got the baby now when does it start fulfilling our dreams for us our unfulfilled (laughs) dreams and then like the tax jokes it's just i was gonna say yeah flipping that and ending it exactly with well now we get to hide some more of a taxable income behind the child and i was just like it just it strikes me as the absolute opposite while doing the same thing of grand theft auto's humor GTA mm. is very interested in those same kinds of things, except with a vicious teenage, like, I'm smarter than that, fuck this kind of energy. And it, I, I'm just much more interested in hearing what this game has to say and, like, the things it points out. I don't know. It just seems like it approaches it in the way of, like, yep, this is a thing that exists within our world. And it yeah. exists here, too. For yeah. better and worse, like, you get to make your own decision, but, like, people will abuse the systems that they have access to. Yeah. And aren't they kind of scampy for it? Yeah. Um, I think your dad. Uh, oh, you know what I think of is the best beard in gaming, Truman Zanato's beard. <laughs> although although your dad's Hercules-esque <laughs> facial hair is really fucking cool, too. What are the mental fingerprints called? The thinker print? Thinker prints. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Fingerprints are very good. Although Bob from uh, like the Bob's Bottles there is also has a magnificent beard that just kind of changes into his entire head. Yeah, right? I love that. It's like a halo around. Just yeah, wraps around his entire face. Um, there's a gay couple in it. I was just gonna say the fact that it makes nothing of the gay couple that we're then going to ruin by making a thing out of it <laughs> here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, what's the nice way to say differently abled character? Yeah. It was really cool that the person unable to walk uses the ability that makes you speed walk to like locomote. That's kind of, that's a very subtle thing that I thought was cool. Also, yeah, the- were you guys constantly hopping on the, the ball to move around the world? Yeah, that power was OP in all scenarios. Unlike, especially the boss fights, unlike some of the other abilities that were like key in specific situations, the answer to like almost all things combat-wise was hop on the ball. I don't think I ever used it in combat to just ram into things. No, to like avoid things. In the boss fights. Like, for example, in the first boss fight when the floor gets electric, you could just go across it on the ball. Well, I think, I mean, it explicitly teaches you that earlier also of like, hey, if the floor is lava, then get on the ball. 
I don't okay. think I ever unbound that one. Yep. I think it was pretty much always there, especially because it was like, how do I move quickly through space? Agent, we mentioned it earlier, but like Ford Crawler crawling out of your brain because you have a piece of bacon it's is so still good delightful, and, and so I don't well understand why it happened, but I appreciate it. I think that's a reference to the first game, right? I had to imagine that there was something, there was some sort of callback there, which on I think that it was on the leading edge of internet bacon humor. Was your dad, like Augustus, and your family a main part of the first game? I, you run away from your family before the first game starts, so... Uh, oh, okay. I don't so think you, so. Okay. Um, you know, I can't, can't quite attribute it to this game, but still, it, it, the male agent's name is Sasha. Oh, yeah. Interesting. The female's... It, Agent's Appreciate. name has an Aye, a very Spanish um, double L makes a Y sound, which I thought was pretty cool. They're so cool. They're such cool characters. Sasha's just like interesting to look at as a great voice. Yeah, just very cool. I do kind of wish that the new generation, which I'm guessing you spent a lot of time with in the first Psychonauts, right, of like the agents... Oh, okay. I was like, I well, was shaking his head, but I assumed that the agents, the younger agents, the ones that are actually like in charge at the agency, um, would be a larger, you know, focus here. But then instead, you focused on the, you know, the, the, the six, yeah, the psychic yeah. seven or psychic six, who were essentially their their mentors instead. Um, and I, I kind of. Wish I would have gotten to know who came after them a little bit more. The first game, uh, you were in a summer camp, and like the other kids at the summer camp was much more part of the game. And the the blah 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 blah. What's he the 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 guy who's like a triangle who's like super militant? The coach guy, I think. I think oh called yeah. Coach. Uh, he shows up a couple places there and makes references to why should we why should we forgive somebody who tried to take over the world? And then they all look at him and he's like, well, you know, I tried to take over the world differently. <laughs> <laughs> I really, Will and I were both very struck deeply when it was like seeming like it was time to fight Maligula and someone asked us if we tried talking to her first, but then we fight her in the end anyway. Just like, have you tried talking to her first? Like it, it felt to me, I don't know why that moment felt really deep, because it it really felt like you could see the way this story going in that we're setting up all this mental trauma, mental anguish, and the solution really is, you know, figure out what's going on in her head, how we can resolve this situation Situations even too um, confrontational, like figure out how we can address her trauma, how we can help her, how we can help her through this. I'm sure there's a, a word they tell psychologists to use here. To resolve it. Um, but not, it, it's not like, the the problem I have with the resolve is like you're, it's it's not that you're fixing it like it's a problem, but like coming to terms with it like accepting it figuring out how to incorporate it in your life like 
it, it felt like um, the resolution wasn't just that, oh, Maligula's bad, she needs to die. It was, can we understand what caused her to get into this situation and help her if she needs it? Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it felt and like it's... the the right thing to do in that spot. And the fact that we just fight her after that sucked. Well, there's a couple. Yeah, I, I agree broadly. I think it's interesting that we then learn that one of the psychonauts like confined that part of her mind to be. I, you asked what like happened to her while she was in there. And it feels like the answer is that like part that was banished grew to take more and more of her personality. And it feels less like we killed her than we like returned that part that had bubbled to the surface back down to the depths where it belongs, which I think is reinforced by that quote, like everyone's got this. We just know how to handle it. It's not like we vanquished it or destroyed it, which I think the like the talking to someone would almost have gone more in that direction as well. I think of the like, well, I guess the talking could be like how to let those things how to bring them into the surface without them defining you. But like, yeah, I think Ford kind of made it so that was all of her. I really like that um, nobody's perfect and they show that. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's any character who doesn't feel uh, three-dimensional or well-rounded. Yeah, I really like that too. Uh, I think as we kind of begin to wind down here, um, I definitely did get some some interesting thoughts of other games that might tickle the fancy of anyone that really enjoyed this game. I think for me, Wandersong came up, like I mentioned earlier, has a similarly earnest, emotionally, like a high EQ game that's really focused on music and kind mm. of friendships. And that one is a little more saccharine in that it, it definitely thinks that like repairing things is the way forward. It's a little less shades of gray, but it's by the person who went on to make Shikari. Oh uh, man. I forget really? their name. Um, it's a game that really touched me personally deeply, but I didn't finish cause it, it's kind of a little rough to play. It feels like kind of a, very much a first game project, but it's Greg so hard. Lobin off. Yeah, that I think it's uh, worth a look. And if you're into music and games, I think it's a really, really good one to check out. Um, I think the answer to Craig's I want this game's artfulness with less game is The Artful Escape, which is an Annapurna published 2D, extremely artful. I guess it's a platformer, but really it's more of an experience. It's like how you long form music video for like a better term isn't it yeah your main your only interaction in that game is just power shredding guitar <laughs> just making the most glorious like electric guitar chords <laughs> um i did think of unfinished swan in that if you had a team of like art students instead of professional game designers that maybe that's more the structure this game would have come out as with a series of like vignettes with totally unique mechanics um that's telling a very artful story. Um, and also Unfinished Swan is playing with typography in parts of it in the same way that Psychonauts 2 kind of gets into. Um, What's wait, the game that we Sorry, I was thinking that... of <laughs> What Remains of Edith Finch. Yeah. I was okay. definitely thinking of the Unfinished Swan for the like typography and kind of like 
a couple specific things, but that's more of a like a student art game. What's the game that we that we played that happens in the minute before deaths, based on a story where you're the guy's hanging and then the whole story happens in the moment bef- between when he hangs and when he dies. Virginia. Uh, mm. It's very. Is it Virginia? Uh, probably not. I just don't remember even us doing a podcast on Virginia, and we definitely it's a person's name. Now, there's a great game to go back if you want more. Every all the hosts are upset with a game. We compared it with a different game. We compared it with everybody's gone to the rapture. Oh, uh, the vanishing of Ethan Carter. Ethan Carter. Yeah, I, thought, I didn't think that took place in the minute before. Yeah, how did I forget that? Interesting. Yeah, we had a whole. If that's interesting, you should go listen to our podcast about it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been a few years. Yeah, that is another good one in the, like, yeah. I mean, that one's got a bit of, like, surreal, like, the stages feel differently and, like, handled differently and and stuff like that. Yeah. There was two other games that came to mind for me. One of them, which I was like, man, this game really reminds me and it was headlander and i was like oh yeah because double fine also made that game it's a it's a much smaller scoped game about your interaction with the world and taking over other people's bodies and their thoughts and kind of how you interact there um that that it's very good it's interesting it has great humor as well it has a lot of the personality that comes into this that you see from double fine and then something something a bit different, but Gravity Rush too, and a bit of that is because of like the earnestness of Cat as a character compared to Raz, and like they'd be best friends if they were in a shared universe. But um, I just think that the way you interact and are trying to solve challenges and problems within that world, there's a little bit of overlap there. You might have to squint kind of hard, also. Interesting. Y'all ready to talk final thoughts? Final thoughts? I kind of like the order. Will, Craig, Nate. The sandwich. The sandwich. I think that that discussion we had earlier about if I were going to put more energy, more resources, more money, and, you know, whatever aspect that money takes into this game what would i do to improve it this is the one of the first times i've ever thought i would not even make the gameplay feel better because that is not where i would spend any additional resources i think the gameplay was just good enough to get me what i wanted in this game and the things that I wanted in this game was more story, more characters, more in-depth exploration of different aspects of uh, mental health, coping, um, understanding how like developmental psychology, all kinds of different explorations and seeing how those things actually uh, appear in real life, um, real life. Um, Which is to say, you know, I'm not reading about some mental disorder in a textbook. I'm seeing how that could play out in somebody's life and how that might 
intersect with the people around them and how what things you might have to do to cope to live with that kind of thing. I think that if I had to increase, if I had doubled the budget of this game, the things that I would have wanted out of it is more of what it's already doing. For me, that's another way of saying I don't think that there are any any negative sides of this game for me that detract enough from this game to make it feel less than perfect. I think this game was a delight to play. I really enjoyed what they explored. I feel like at the end of the day, I just want more. I feel like this was a 10. It feels so weird following that up and being the dissenting opinion in the room. <laughs> and yet here we are. I appreciate the framing and the conversation that we've had to help add perspective to the world and specific to that point that you hit on there. Well, right. Like if given more resources, where would they be directed within this world? Where would they be focused on the game? I think spending it on those areas is clearly the strong suits they should be diving into. But it's exactly because of that, that I can't excuse my interaction with the game and like the way that it gives me and the tools that it gives me to actually interact with that world as being one of the detractors from my overall experiences within it. And as we went through this, right, like the level design, the visuals, the audio, at least the voice acting, music, whatever, um, the writing, all of those places were things that were true high points for me. And this was a game that to me started off by hitting such peaks. Um, I'm someone that has and still continues to deal with, with mental illness and challenges within my personal life. So I was very curious to see how they were going to explore and interact with those themes and like starting right off of me and like, here, the enemies you face are the sensors of our life or, you know, our own regrets and things of that nature. I was like, what a fascinating thing for you to combat, right? Like quite literally, like you're going into combat with these ideas that are invading your mind space. But then as the game continued to progress, those felt like they took a backseat and how to grapple with some of these complex ideas or emotions felt like it took a backseat in some ways to a lot of the character interaction. I'm still grappling with whether that's a good or a bad thing. I don't really know if it falls on either side of that equation. Um, but it's definitely something where I can't shake that the the length of the game and my time spent with it actually decreased my overall enjoyment of it. And finding some combination of that also with the interaction of just spending time in this world being impacted by how it played was, you know, a consistent, I wouldn't even say it's a challenge, but it was definitely something that was, you know, affecting my mind space and my own perception of the world as, as I went through it. Um, but overall, those critiques or criticisms don't 
overarch and take over the overall impact that a lot of the the visuals and other places that we highlighted that were so successful here continue to do. But if I were going to associate, you know, a score to it or something of that nature, it would sit in the sevens to eights for me, somewhere in that range of being a good to great game. But that's probably where it would land. And I found it to be somewhat uneven throughout that experience. Probably it would it would be an eight, but um somewhere right around that range. Say I um let's see. I don't really know how to summarize my feelings on this game. I think it's yeah, been great. It's been challenging after two hours to get there. Yeah. I appreciate your presence, Craig, because I think those parts of the game and the friction therein are important to highlight. I am really delighted by a game that showed us that it could gamify parts of mental health or at least present them in a way that was interesting and then also managed to tell a story with it about getting to know other characters. And it does feel like the exploration of the other characters did end up taking priority over uh, different directions the game could have gone. And I wish I remembered the first game better because it I have this, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the first game was more about writing the ills of other people's minds. Mm. Um, in a way that the first mission was about, and then the game made a pretty sharp correction to say like that it it and you should be more interested in sort of exploring what is and linking all the facets of identity together. Um, yeah. I think that's ultimately less healing for people that have struggled with mental health perhaps, but more of a narrative that I was interested in following that it, yeah, I, I think in some ways it almost feels like the game started out by presenting itself as a narrative toy box to explore mental health and kind of explore ways to heal people. And then it ended up kind of pivoting a little bit into more of a, let's explore a situation here. Um, and it would sure be interesting to have kind of a creator's breakdown on kind of how the story evolved over time and what different versions of it were and what parts were legacies from what era. I guess with all that being said, I'm normally someone who any friction in gameplay is immediately noticeable because I think most gameplay of a lot of games is just kind of annoying, repetition sort of driven work that I don't often enjoy. So I'm very sensitive to it, but I loved the art in this game and I loved the art direction and how personal it felt and how earnest it felt and how much like an honest a, a piece made with love and it was really hard to not it was hard for anything to stand in the way of that in my mind and that was really what carried me through the whole thing with joy i was smiling and laughing even though the humor was somewhat uh reduced by ain't it just funny or ain't it funny when um, <laughs> It, like even knowing that, like it's still good. So to me, the the amount of honesty here and joy, I think, is just what makes it such a spectacular game that I love playing. And it was really cool to play it with Will and have Will be into it too, because I wasn't sure if that was going to go more towards him vibing with the bad game feel or, um, 
I guess in in this session of playing it with you, Will, I remembered that you are also my friend who is constantly thinking about art and level design and how creative people are creative and watching YouTube videos on that. And it was a cool, a cool thing to connect over, I think. I do want to ask you to think about um, what I think I got out of this game uh, is that what it means to heal somebody emotionally is more complicated than get rid of a disease or fix a problem. Yeah. And yeah, even like even that approach has changed drastically from like when the first game came out, right? Yeah, what we understand mm. to be acceptable mental states is deeper and more complicated. And, um, like you said, what it meant means to quote unquote heal somebody is not always as straightforward as fix their problem. And so it feels like the characters, it feels like Raz learned that over the course of this game. Do you, and and to me, that's how I understand, can attribute what you talked about. Like your first character, you're trying to heal the character. Um, right. And then after that- You're trying to fix them. Yeah. Yeah, the first one you're trying to fix- and then you break and then have to unbreak. But even in the unbreaking, you realize it's not just fix the connections in this brain and all of a sudden you're back to quote unquote normal. Like it's a matter of accepting and understanding and seeing how those experiences built me as a person and, and how do I accept those? And, um, you know, do you agree that that kind of understanding of a mental health is, uh, well represented and you know feels right to you it's a hard question to answer because yes and i think the piece that i've struggled the most with this game is that i felt like they took off like a rocket ship at the beginning by trying to express that idea and never quite reached the moon I think it would be easier to make the counter argument to that that they were that the game is showing that that attempt to fix is just not a good plan but the defeating maligula really sort of it doesn't undermine that but it it does complicate that simple view of it i think it undermines it i i really think that fight should have been different yeah, to the point where, like, if if the, if this is a bad part of the mind that needs to be defeated, then it would have been more interesting to do that using the tools at the beginning of the game. Is that kind of what you're getting at, Craig? I'd... Or do you mean, like, throughout the whole plot, sticking with those ideas? I think, I think throughout, like, it felt like it was like, okay, this is a lesson, not what to do. Um, and everyone has redeemable functions within them no matter how dark or sinister they may get 
right? And like exploring that gray area. But there's some connective piece that I'm still struggling to identify there that I can't understand why it didn't continue to resonate with its thoughts on, on mental health specifically. Wish I had something better to say. I think there's something to be said for the fact that I can't remember a game that I've struggled so much to formulate my thoughts on. There's just a lot happening here in a way that's really hard to reduce into, I don't know, cogent analyses and uh, deconstructions. Yeah, all the vignettes feel like they're all such specific separate activities that I that address certain things that I think the piece that I kept wanting to come back is like, how do these all coalesce? And hmm. I guess I never really felt like it truly was able to bring that all together into like the holistic view of like the human experience. Hmm. Well, I think, Ain't it funny when you end a super serious podcast with a bunch of uplifting quotes? Uh, don't care who you've courted. The feelings must get sorted. I really like that one from Mailroom Crawler. No one no between one the ages between of the ages 27, 27 and 32, 32 has, has ever, ever drowned. drowned in these waters. Slightly better than a mouthful of nails as a review of your performance in the... Uh, Game show is pretty good. Oh, Before man. I was young, alone, and scared. Now I'm only two of those things, or only one of those things. <laughs> that, and then, and then Raz is like counting on his fingers. <laughs> yep, that was very, that. I think that might be on my top in the in the game. Um, and I think on the more wholesome front, um, we writers are much more effective when we get inside someone's head. It's very sweet. You don't need to reach too far good. to touch the infinite. Uh, it was a really good quote. That one had me thinking for still has me thinking that's a great one and i really like when helmet is in that when you're kind of in his memory thing when he says memories are just a first draft that sometimes it stinks and he thanked his friends for helping him with a rewrite that was i think the moment that struck me the most deeply about this game of like whoa that's sweet and powerful like courageous and beautiful and really cool When did he say you don't need to reach far to touch the infinite? That's fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah, that was in, I recall, the beginning of your favorite level. Yeah, the psychic roll. That yeah. is very good. Yeah, it's like, woo! Good on you, Ted We had to Schaefer. stop and pause and think about that one for a second. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Woo! Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. That was a podcast. Until next time.